Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the third Sunday after Lent, which this year falls on March 20th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So our deep dive today is on the topic of theodicy, not the Odyssey by Homer, the ancient (laughs) poet. I once had a very painful 10 minute conversation where I thought I was talking about the concept of theodicy and my conversation partner who has been a guest on this podcast thought we were talking about the Odyssey by Homer. And after a while, we figured it out, but it was a very possibly we hadn't had our coffee yet that's very possible mm. but it, it was an exhausting day the question of the odyssey is this if god is all loving and all powerful and also presumably actually exists then why does evil exist why is there evil in the world why do bad things happen to good people well there's a book on that exact topic with that exact title and i do actually recommend that you read it because it's super interesting and useful it's it's called why do bad things happen to good people and it's by a jewish rabbi whose name i'm not remembering off the top of my head but it is a super useful and uh, i thought very accessible uh, and readable conversation about all of that mm-hmm. But there are a bunch of different ideas around this concept. For example, one person whose name was Leibniz, who was also known as the guy who, if Isaac Newton didn't invent calculus first, then Leibniz did. Hmm. Isaac Newton claimed to invent calculus first, but his ability to provide proof that his notes were older than Leibniz's notes were not great. So there's a certain amount of disagreement on that. But one or the other of them invented calculus. Interestingly... Most high schoolers can then be mad at one of them. And I will be just extra grateful because I love math and calculus. Cool. It's fun. Leibniz, like many rich, educated white men who had nothing better to do with their time during that era, (laughs) was not just a mathematician, but also was a philosopher and actually put out a few useful ideas, one of which was the concept of the best of all possible worlds. What if the answer to why does evil exist is that the universe is just a deeply complex and complicated place, and this is the best possible version of it? Like, there is no possible way that the universe could exist in all its complexity that would be better than this, or less evil, or involve less suffering. And... That's an interesting idea, but there's basically no way to prove it. And also, like, it seems like there's an awful lot of evil and suffering in this world. So it's it's an interesting idea, but you can't do that much with it. But it does exist and is out there. Also, I feel like we should note early in this conversation that when we talk about evil, there's evil and then there's suffering and not all suffering comes from evil sources. Like, for example, natural disasters and science-related things like cancer, those aren't actually evil. That's just, you know, science being science. Like, the way that the climate works on our planet means that there's going to be some natural disasters. I grew up with tornadoes. Some people grew up with hurricanes, etc. Avalanches. Yeah. And the way that our bodies work means that sometimes things like cancer or uh, various other illnesses happen. And our bodies 
if they weren't capable of doing those things that cause pain and suffering also wouldn't be able to work basically like i'm not a biologist don't don't ask me to explain how vaccines work but i do understand that they are sufficiently complex that they also have to be able to go a little haywire in some weird ways like say cancer or other types of uh, sickness in order for them to work the way they do yeah well and i think part of that right is that evolution and the development of life is largely due to accidents yes and the place where i love the like line that i love the most about this is like in interstellar the movie when they're like exploring planets and brant has a lot of reasons for wanting to go to edmondson's planet um some of which are questionable but her argument that on a planet orbiting that close to a black hole there's not as much possibility for life because there's not as much possibility for accidents to happen because the black hole sucks everything in and so it's those spaces where we do create possibilities for accidents that things can evolve and genes get switched and mutate and yeah that sort of thing Yeah, the world is also an incredibly messy place, and that leads to a lot of stuff, both good and bad as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm, For sure. Also, when we are thinking about new life and resurrection and all of that, presumably death has to happen in order for new life to happen. I know there have been multiple dystopias and those sorts of things that depict, what if people stopped dying? Yeah, And the reality is it would take days before we were so overpopulated that like nobody could survive. And also a lot of those people would be in a lot of pain and miserable. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like, yes, there are ways where death can be evil, particularly when it comes to killing and the taking of life. But death in and of itself is not an evil it is part of a cycle if we didn't have death like things wouldn't nourish the earth to grow the plants and the and like feed the animals and sure there just wouldn't be cycles of life and those of you who eat meat would be in trouble because if there's no death there's no meat to eat folks well i hate to tell you this emily but like in order to eat vegetables there also has to be death otherwise we'd be covered in vegetation and probably rhubarb would have devoured the world by now so i mean true (laughs) vegetable death is just not as like it's not sentient i i I don't know i've seen some pretty mean rhubarb plants (laughs) i almost lost a shed to one i do love rhubarb i make a good rhubarb sauce anyway but is it morally good or does it just taste yummy both because it helps <laughs> keep the rhubarb plant both growing and contained. Excellent. <laughs> and all of this also raises a question, particularly in the capitalist hellscape in which we live, that is raised on the good place. So, for those of you who haven't seen the good place, there's like spoilers here, but they end up in like the last season or later seasons realizing that in fact, no one has been going to the good place for a very long time because in within capitalism, it is impossible to make decisions that are completely good. Yes. And 
okay, I would actually throw a lot of that blame at capitalism, but probably not 100%. Like, probably the world is actually just large enough and complicated enough and has enough people with different motivations in it that some of it is not entirely capitalism. Yes, I think it's not entirely capitalism, and... It's mostly capitalism. Yeah, and there are, like, decisions and choices that we can make as humans that mitigate some of the evil of capitalism. Sure. Um, When we buy something locally or organically or but like even that right if it's, it's not going to be not organic Perfect. if it's organic yeah. and not local there's no way to actually like or if it's both organic and local and it also happens to be funding a group that does horrible things mm-hmm. so there's so many complexities in everything we do that like it would be and I think for some of us, myself included, at times is paralyzing to try yeah. to do only good. Right. To try to avoid anything that harms anybody else. And there are like mitigating things that you can do, both in terms of like how you spend your money, but also advocacy around safety and those sorts of things. Which, come to think of it, brings us back to a line from Martin Luther of uh, sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. Except the fact that sin is going to happen because it's Mm -hmm. going to, whether you try or not and uh, move on with your life, basically, because God, God's love for you doesn't change anyway. Yeah. It's, it's a like, don't get paralyzed. Yeah. Well, in indecision. Yes. Sorry. Don't get paralyzed. Don't get paralyzed in indecision. Don't get paralyzed in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do the freeze. But instead, do the when there is no clear good right. choice. Do the best you can. Do the best you can and trust that, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu has said, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Yeah, absolutely. But that said, yes, the world is a complicated place, but I think we can also agree that evil does genuinely exist in the world. Like, most of us have seen it. Some of us spend more time looking at it than others. And Some of us are seeing it right now. Hey. Oh, not like <laughs> you. I meant in the world. There's like an eva- invasions of countries. There's transphobic bills. Yes, I wish all of you could have seen Emily's face, though. It was beautiful. <laughs> but yes, evil totally does exist. Ask yourself what the source of evil is, and generally speaking, once you accept the fact that things like natural disasters and sickness and things like that that happen naturally are not, you know, either directed at you or inherently uh, intrinsically evil, you realize that the stuff that is evil, cruelty, poverty, intentionally caused suffering, miserliness, uh, I'm I'm sure there are lots of examples of things that I'm not thinking of right now. Uh, genocide, goodness knows. All of those things come from people, not God. <laughs> like, okay, people come from God, but <laughs> and and we can, you know, at at the end of time, if we decide that we want to argue with God that the human race never should have existed in the first place, that might actually happen. And honestly, is not the worst argument I've ever heard. Come to think of yep. it, yeah. <laughs> But I'm here, so I'm going to have to deal with something. So the question becomes, okay, well, where, where does our evil come from? And for the most part, the reason why 
as far as we understand, that we can do evil when God is good and does love us and does also exist and is all-powerful. The reason for that is because of this concept called free will. The idea that we are able to freely make choices about what we do with our lives on a daily basis and that that freedom of our will is not something that God has taken from us. That freedom is complete and while we occasionally try to limit each other's free will, we're also not, you know, omnipotent. And so our ability to do that is limited. The argument I usually wind up having with people, and I mean argument in a philosophical sense, not necessarily a yelling sense, although occasionally yelling happens about free will is, but couldn't there just be a little less of it? Like, couldn't we mostly have free will, but like the truly horrifying things not be a possibility? Couldn't God do that for us, right? And then the question becomes, where do you draw the line? Like, are we saying, okay, so everyone should be alive and healthy and like not genuinely suffering, at least until they're 18, because children are innocent, right? And so... You're going to, you know, knock out uh, all kinds of childhood cancer, horrible accidents, uh, lots of abuse, stuff like that. That sounds great. But like then you're still going to have a bunch of evil that happens to people after they turn 18. And Mm -hmm. I have to imagine that the whole all children continue life until they're 18 thing is going to definitely mess with our population numbers. Like Emily was saying earlier with the whole Mm -hmm. death has to happen. I mean, I'm not saying children have to die. That's not where this is going. But the way we exist currently as a species on the planet would change dramatically if that Mm -hmm. was a rule that God decided to to put into place. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to say, okay, so like natural suffering is one thing, but what if we just weren't able to murder each other? Like, what if that was a possibility? Well, okay, great. Are you talking about individual murders? Are you talking about genocide? Are you talking about... Accidental murder? Like manslaughter? Yeah, manslaughter. uh, Hitting people uh, with your car when you totally didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. Does that also take out drunk driving? How far do you draw the line? Yeah, exactly. And there comes a point where you can't draw the line anywhere because there's always going to be disagreement about where the line should be. And also we do recognize to some extent that humans need a certain amount of adversity. Humans need something to struggle against or else we turn into fairly horrifying people. (laughs) I don't know if any of you have spent time with children who have not been allowed to struggle with anything in their lives because their parents insisted that everything be perfect for them. But those are not necessarily the kids I actually want to hang out with. And they've they've actually there's this book called The Confidence Code, which yes. specifically focuses on gender diversity and for especially for like really smart kids who are socialized as girls. Yes. They are not told, Well keep trying and you'll do better or whatever, the way that like boys who misbehave are. And so sure. they don't learn because things come naturally and they're not told to keep trying or work harder they don't learn how to face adversity and so then it's harder to actually be confident when they finally reach like they're not challenged enough and then when they are challenged they're not as prepared for it because it has been so much easier yeah so the characterization of the free will where should you draw the line argument that I learned in high school and is not terribly reverent, let's say, um, is what's called the extra drippy ice cream cone argument. Because by golly, if we're going to get rid of evil, then I want to be able to eat my ice cream cone before it melts. I just want my ice cream cone to have ice cream in the bottom. 
see, I'm lactose intolerant, so this argument no longer actually applies to me at all. I mean, you could have sorbet. Not in a cone. That doesn't sound... Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's um, <laughs> I think we can all agree, basically, that the you don't want to take it as far as God preserves your ice cream cone for you, because we do need a little <laughs> more adversity than that, is basically what that line it means. And if you want a illustration of that, the sci-fi author Orson Scott Card has some issues, like, wow, but he did write a book of that's a collection of short stories called The Worthing Saga, uh, in which there is a novella called The Worthing Chronicle, which explores what a world looks like when free will has essentially been taken away from people because all of the worst kinds of sufferings have been removed from their lives without their agreement because there is a person who is able to do so and, and wants to reduce the suffering in their lives. And then one day it that stops and they start having suffering again and they have to go through that process and it sucks. And uh, it's a really interesting exploration of the whole free will argument on the whole, which I yeah. definitely appreciated. That also reminded me of The Giver and that yes. space where like the giver is designed to eliminate suffering and it doesn't actually right like people are right. still committing atrocious acts they just don't have it framed that way and so don't realize it's the like pre-knowledge don't yeah. realize what they are doing and how harmful it is yeah so the way that I've always learned and thought about it maybe not always but since I've been learning and thinking about the Odyssey, the way sure. that makes the most sense to me for thinking about like why evil exists is and and kind of like what evil actually is, is yeah. still connected to free will, right? And free will in and of itself is a good thing. It is good that God gave us free will. And like part of it is God doesn't want robots or like sheep yeah. or sheep. Yeah, like non-human animals don't have the capacity in the same way that humans do to love God. Though there are non-human animals that... Understand more than we think. Yeah, experience empathy and feelings and that sort of thing. But we're going to not count that part, like not think about that part for a minute. Free will for humans is good. It is how we are able to love God. And, and each other. And each other. And it can be twisted to sure. be used for evil. And I think for me, evil, any evil that we're looking at is actually like, or at least the majority, is actually rooted in something that's not evil, but it has been twisted to be right. evil. So free will means we get to love each other and love God, and we can not love each other. Yes. We can choose to harm each other. But there's also like protecting or valuing, right? Valuing who I come from, the family I come from, the community I come from is not evil. Valuing yeah. it over and above everybody else and thinking I am better than like my particular community, origins, country, race is better than everybody else. Sure. Is evil. Right. Yeah. So there's there's like that where it it starts in one spot, but it can get bigger. It can become evil. Yeah. And, like, that is the case not just with, like, ideas of, like, white supremacy, but with anything. There's anything that we do, any good, can be twisted to become evil. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the good isn't good. Yeah. Also, I feel like there's a whole ton and a half of fiction that is based on that concept. 
taking yes. something that should be good and twisting it for evil and then twisting it back so that it's good again and all that. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like this is a good time to bring up the book of Job in the Bible because this is something that everyone wants to talk about when it comes to good and evil. I would remind you that the book of Job essentially is a parable. Uh, it's also the oldest book in the Bible. We're not entirely clear how old it is, but like super, super old and mm -hmm. therefore based in a culture very different than ours and also not necessarily a culture we have a ton of information about. And so I would encourage you, if you want to look into the book of Job, don't worry about the whole God betting Satan thing and what causes Job suffering in the first place. Like that is not really the heart of the book. The heart of the book of Job is Job's conversations with his various friends who show up. He has three friends who show up at first and then an additional friend who shows up later. And the three so-called friends suck. Like they're not great people. And the I things mean, they that they are telling out, Job. They start out okay. They sit they, they start out okay they sit and then they get worse and worse and Job, worse. And yeah. then they get worse. And then they open their mouths, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> If you want a list of things not to say to your friend when your friend is suffering, these guys do a lovely job of listing almost all of them. <laughs> and uh, I would suggest if you don't spend a lot of time with the Bible or if you aren't, you know, just into the very weird ways that the Bible can phrase things because translating from one language to another language over the course of several thousand years is going to do things to that. I would suggest that you try the Common English Bible which is not not the CEV the CEV yes not the CEV the CEB B is in bible very different yes and the common english bible is a good but also very understandable and relatable translation and you should be able to understand what his friends are saying it's one of the newest translations yes and it, it does a lovely job of making things clear yeah it has significantly fewer he's and hymns i believe for god as that too well. Not, not all gone, but sure. Yeah. And so the first three friends of Job are just not great. But if you want a list of things not to say to your friends who are suffering, they are lovely for that. And then the fourth friend is interesting. Like, God definitely approves of the fourth friend. He says a lot less crappy stuff than the other friends do. But mm -hmm. it sort of depends on what your emotions toward God are at the moment as to whether or not you're going to like him. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There are days when I don't like the fourth friend very much. That's fine. But it, those conversations are a large part of how do we react as humans to evil? How do we react as humans to suffering? And you will find yourself saying, oh, yeah, I've met this person before as you read these friends. <laughs> and it yeah. is remarkable how some things just don't change. So I think ultimately speaking, my answer to the question of if God is all loving and all powerful and also exists, why does evil exist? Is that evil doesn't actually have to. Evil comes from us. We don't have to live in a world like this. We don't have to live in a world with evil and suffering. We can alleviate a lot of both, but mm -hmm. we choose not to. We have historically chosen not to for a number mm -hmm. of reasons that also, you know, mostly suck. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a conversation that we have when we form our societies. Yeah. And I think I, I would agree with that. And I think part of it too is like, yes, we don't have to. And currently there are systems that are set up that yes. we need to change in order to actually make those changes to 
eliminate or at least significantly decrease evil. And it is because hard. Because oddly enough, evil's been around for quite a while and has had some time to set up. Indeed it has. And it's so rooted into things like capitalism and the ways... Our legal systems. I was going to say, in this country, like the racism built into our legal system. Yeah the classism built into our criminal justice system, the transphobia that is being built ever more clearly into our laws. And it doesn't have to be this way, but we've gotten to the point where we need big movements. And the way we've taught history is to point to one single person who leads a movement and ignore the entire group of people that were necessary to lead the movement. So that none of us feel like we could ever be Martin Luther King Jr. But really, there was also a Bayard Rustin. There, like, there were there was so also many. Rosa Parks, who was there trained was also Rosa Parks. and chose to do that that day on purpose mm-hmm. as part of a movement. There, yeah, yeah. There are so many who were part of the civil rights movement to make it happen. Not just one man. Yeah. So part of it is like we need to do better at learning our history so that we have models and can think about ways of organizing and making change that are group efforts. Yeah. And we need to be reminded that care of another person does not put us at risk. It actually keeps us safer. Community care keeps us way safer than trying to hoard or protect or isolate. Yeah. Diving into our readings for this episode, our first reading is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9, which was one of the readings for my ordination. Sure. I mean, 1 through 11, but, you know, close enough. Okay. God announces an everlasting covenant with the people of King David that God will continue to listen to them and forgive them because God's ways are different from our ways. So when I was reading this, I part of what I love about this passage is it is so very clearly anti-capitalist like anyone who is hungry come and eat anyone who's thirsty come and drink no money come eat drink get what you need yeah and it reminded me of the wizard of oz series so a while back i was like several years ago now i was actually reading the wizard of oz series before bed because the books are written for kids and yes l frank baum uses queer all the time and i love it and it's delightful like the way that queer the word queer is used is just delightful in it but they don't have like big scary plots that will like keep my brain awake so i was like reading them as on my way to bed anyway and it's like the whole series is like does anyone actually ever work or just like go on adventures and like Eat whatever you find, unless, of course, the tree gets mad at you for taking its apples, in which case you should probably have asked first and checked Being on that. Being polite is good, yeah. But, yeah, it's the whole system there. It's just, like, people sure. are, are, like, responsible for ruling things, but, like, it is not clear if anybody ever actually works. Yeah. And I like it. And then in verse 1, we read, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And if we have any musical fans out there, this verse is referenced at the start of the musical of Brigadoon. I imagine in the like standard script, but specifically I'm thinking of the movie starring Gene Kelly. 
when he and his friend first enter the town of Brigadoon and try to pay for the food that they would like to buy with modern money. And then the guy who's getting married in town that day comes up and offers to uh, treat them in honor of his wedding that day, which is really lovely. Is Brigadoon like a time travel thing? Sort of. The, the town is time traveling for uh, reasons that are explained yeah. in the story. The town only exists for one day every hundred years. And so they happen upon it on that day. And it's at that point, 200 years old. So it's like stepping back into time for Gene Kelly and his friend. Gotcha. Fascinating. It's, Mm -hmm. it's an ancient legend that was later turned into a musical. Gotcha. And then in verse two, the first half of verse two, we read, why do you spend your money for that, which is not bread and your labor for that, which does not satisfy. And it reminded me actually of the doctor who episode called gridlock Mm -hmm. where like everybody is stuck in a perpetual state of gridlock, rush hour traffic, but like 24-7 is rush hour. Yeah. And in the underneath part in the city, you can actually like buy feelings or emotions to consume and to experience. So it's like, oh yeah, spending money for that which is not bread. Spending money on emotional experiences that are not actually genuine. Yeah. Just so you can feel something because... Everything is so disconnected and dystopic. Which would explain a lot about Hollywood. You know, yeah. And then in verse 8, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And there are days when I think that I'm supposed to take this verse as being, you know, sad on our part, because we are not like God. But often enough, I have to say, I actually take this verse as a good thing, because God is not like us. (laughs) (laughs) and that can definitely be a good thing Uh, see our earlier conversation about evil for example and it reminds me of an episode of the orville Uh, i'm pretty sure that the title of the episode is nothing left on earth excepting fishes Uh, although i'm not entirely certain about that and yes i'm pretty sure that is a line from the king and i to go back to the whole musical thing but there is a an episode in the orville where ed realizes that there is something weird about the woman who he's dating because she watches the first indiana jones movie with him and she's not rooting against the bad guys like she thinks the bad guys are supposed to be the ones she's rooting for and that definitely like granted indiana jones doesn't have a ton of the cultural context that backs all that up and explains who those people are but it's still kind of terrifying and that gets explored yeah there's a reason for it i haven't seen indiana jones in a long time but is that the one with the nazis trying nazis yeah okay because i was like it's not it's not entirely like you're expected to know who the nazis are and it's not really yeah so yeah it's not really clear on whether or not she knows who they are exactly but yeah yeah because i was gonna say in general i find especially for like disney movies more so but like the evil characters are often the queer coded characters and like yes rooting for the evil ones is actually like not always the and sometimes they're the smarter ones and sometimes they get the better one-liners and like Mm -hmm. it's all depends on how you write them yeah Mm -hmm. but not when they're nazis no exactly nazis are bad Yes. Just to be perfectly queer. <laughs> yes. In verse 9, we read, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we pitched different verses, but the verses are actually almost identical, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and like, you know that vigilantes, like rich boy Batman, actually think this. Like they, yeah. they are the ones who are saying what God is saying and saying, 
my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I know how to do this better than you do. Yeah. And like in the Avengers, they actually get in trouble for that because because of that, because they're like, no, we don't have to be held accountable. And there's complicated things and Hydra is like infiltrating shield and that's all complicated, blah, blah, blah. But also like there has to be some sort of accountability for people who are literally like potentially killing others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Our second reading for this episode is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Paul reminds the Corinthians of many trials that the Jewish people faced over the centuries, despite being loved by God, and exhorts them to not make the same mistakes as were made then. So this passage, Paul was just like super annoying. I don't know what it was about like my preparation. It was just like, Paul, come on now. This is some major retconning or retroactive (laughs) continuity here. Like Paul is going back and reinterpreting things that have happened in a whole different way than was intended. And so it reminded me of when, and this happens all the time in comics. It's just like, sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's obvious, but it's like, in the X-Men comics when for Jean Grey, when Professor X retconned it all and was like, she had the Phoenix in there the whole time. I had just repressed it. It's like, (laughs) yeah, because someone knows better than everyone else. Hmm. Never heard that one before. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as we jump into the verses, we read in verse one, I do not want you to be unaware siblings that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Okay, so sometimes I deal with Paul by just taking his words in ways he didn't expect. (laughs) Which I love. Yes, and uh, is usually a good time and also reminds me that, like, Paul is a colleague and maybe I don't have to take him quite as seriously as he takes himself. (laughs) And (laughs) Which, like, if I was going to take him as seriously as he takes himself, I would be, like, all serious all the time and that's boring. I realize that this probably this verse probably has a deeper spiritual meaning to Paul, but I also claim that it could be evidence of the Bible encouraging the theory of evolution and that we all originally evolved from sea amoebas. Like that's what passing through the sea means, right? So <laughs> I, I'm just saying that's an option. That's fantastic. Whereas I read that verse and I was thinking of a river instead of the sea. Sure. And it sounds to me like the beginning of the movie Encanto. Um, so not the beginning of the actual movie, but the beginning of like the particular story that the family traces itself back to, which is a passing through a river and then being at risk. And there's like a fight and protection that happens and sure. all of that. But that they, they did pass through the water in order to get to a safer place. Yeah. And then in verse 8, we read, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Okay, so before we all panic, I would like to point out that sometimes Paul refers back to stories from the Hebrew scriptures and forgets to give verse references (laughs) and forgets to give any sense of context whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And for example, this story uh, that he's referencing here is from Numbers chapter 25. It involves the Jewish people committing acts of idol worship, which include sexual acts that almost certainly included some really serious consent issues, the way Mm -hmm. it's described there. And so, yeah, God's objecting to that because... 
that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. Because consent is good and necessary yes, and important. Absolutely. And God reacts rather forcefully to that. And so having the reference and understanding what's the context of what's going on definitely helps in understanding what the heck Paul is saying here. I like to take this verse uh, among many, many, many other verses from Paul as a reminder that Paul really could have used an editor and also probably a graduate advisor to remind him to cite his sources properly. Like mm -hmm. Paul Perfect did not does. go to grad school and sometimes it shows. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then in verse 13, we read, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, God will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. This is like real textbook hashtag bad theology. And I just want to be like, Paul, no, <laughs> no, Paul, go home. So to be perfectly clear, not everything that is bad is God testing you. And I think this, we didn't yes. really get into this as much in our theodicy conversation, but we kind of like, we operated under that assumption and maybe didn't say it out explicitly but like not everything that is bad is testing and not everything that tests you is from god sometimes yeah. it's really just the dm trying to slow your party down a bit so they can catch up and get ahead of you <laughs> yeah although i think there's also a bit from that first line of that verse no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone it reminds me of a that's also a lie well to some extent, but there's a book that I had to read in high school called I Never Promised You a Rose Garden that's about mental illness and mm. the horrible way that people who were struggling with mental illness uh, were treated back in the 60s. And there's a repeated line in that of one character reminding another that you don't have a corner on suffering. Mm -hmm. You are not the only person who's ever suffered. You have not suffered like you you may have suffered more than some people but you probably are not like the absolute most suffered person in the universe mm -hmm. that kind of thing and i think also when we talk about theodicy and suffering and all of that it's important to remember that you know your suffering probably sucked sure mm -hmm. but also other people have to yeah and their suffering. suffering may have been different but yeah that doesn't invalidate your suffering does not invalidate theirs and vice versa yeah, it's not a suffering Olympics. Right. You don't need to like... Those would be the worst Olympics. Don't have those. Yeah. There's... Well, and there's like the thing called the oppression Olympics where people are like compare like, well, I'm oppressed in this way and I'm oppressed. And a lot of it, like there are particular ways that different groups, especially, but different groups and different people suffer. And those are important to take into account to lead us towards empathy. Yeah. Not to point fingers or those sorts of things and yeah. or to tear any up anyone else down mm -hmm. and one of the congregations i served several years ago had this wall hanging and i don't remember exactly what it said but i loved it because it was the first time i had seen a congregation have a theology that was like really helpful and they had experienced a flood before i got there and so knew like scary stuff and it was that god doesn't promise that life will be perfect, that there will be no suffering. God promises right. to be with you in the suffering, yeah. to not abandon yeah. you and to not leave you. Um, and that I think makes a huge difference. And I like, I would love for Paul to have edited this to actually like be reflective of that more explicitly, yeah. but alas, absolutely, he's Paul. Yeah. 
I'm also willing to give a certain amount of leeway for translation issues. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Maybe not all the leeway. Maybe just some. <laughs> yeah. And then in our final reading for this episode is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The crowd brings up the cruelty of the Romans to Jesus, who reminds them that those who died hadn't sinned any more or less than anyone else. Jesus then tells the parable of the fig tree and the gardener, who asked for one more year so it could bear fruit. So one of the themes in this passage is the empire, in this case, the Roman Empire, causing harm. And I'm somewhat re-watching The Mandalorian and it reminded me of chapter 13, which is also known as season two, episode five, the Jedi. Hmm. And on the planet Corvus, there is a Jedi, Ahsoka Tano, who is confronting the Imperial Magistrate Morgan Elsbeth, who is like ruling Calodan, the city of Calodan. And I'm probably pronouncing things terribly because I read the names of the cities. I didn't hear them. Sure. But, and this is like after... The original trilogy takes place and before the latest trilogy sure and so the empire is not supposed to exist and yet the magistrate is still there and in power and the magistrate is like blaming the suffering of the people of Caledon on ahsoka the jedi who is trying to fight to liberate the people sure and so it's this like it feels like that's what the crowd is doing too right like there's this trying to blame it on like individual personal responsibility when in fact it is the role of the government in this we did it yeah. through we have done it throughout the pandemic right we blame individual choice instead of recognizing the huge failure of the government to act on behalf of the people within its borders yeah. and within the world to or for that matter apparently lives. the president is solely responsible for the price of gas as opposed to you know the gas companies wanting to make more money yep yeah yeah in verse two we read jesus asked them do you think that because these galileans suffered in this way they were worse sinners than all other galileans and i would like to point out again as I have previously on this podcast, because on the rare occasion when God does smite people, God also tells us that God smited them. Okay. Nope. Yes, I, I realize that there are multiple possibilities for the past tense. This is not a word that we use on a regular basis. And so I am trying to use grammar that like sounds. Ah, uh, but smote is more fun. It sounds. It dragonous. is, but it also sounds like something got stuck in your eye. <laughs> so like a moat in your eye. So I. I, I was thinking smote like a dragon. Like it sounds smoky and dragonish. Oh, possibly. Yeah, okay. That that would be a good dragon name. <laughs> but if God does not tell us that God smited someone, then it wasn't God smiting them, okay? There is a science fiction... Well, there was. He's dead now. Uh, there was a science fiction author named uh, Robert Heinlein who had a rule called Heinlein's Razor. Is it like Occam's Razor? Yes, uh, people named it that because they saw the similarity to Occam's Razor. Okay. But his rule was never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Which, if you think about it, it does make sense. Well, I would replace stupidity with, like, ignorance or something, but yeah. Well, yes, it's not the ideal word, but yet so descriptive. Yeah. And I think that we can definitely add a corollary to it, not just in the modern world, but also in the ancient world. Never attribute to divine intervention that which is adequately explained by human nature. Mm. It's not necessarily true that God did this to you. It is very possible that people did this to you. It is also very possible that people did this and then it wound up affecting you and people didn't expect that or didn't especially care. So, yeah, yeah. 
as we move into verse 4, Jesus says, Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? And it actually reminded me of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire of 1911. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, last year, the fire at Hashem Foods in Bangladesh, right? It's still empire and very much explicitly capitalism, but it's, like, trying to cut corners and not provide protections and pay to the ones who are doing the work so that companies can, like, increase and protect their profit margin. To the exclusion of everything else. Yep. There's a concept that the... Nobel Peace Prize winner Mohammed Yunus kind of coined, which is social business, which like has a different way of defining profit. And it includes like how something impacts the earth and how something impacts the community and like how the community yeah. benefit. And so like this verse in this situation. That sounds like a great idea. Don't do that. But yeah, I no. love the idea of social of like social business because yeah. it says Absolutely. How is my business doing good in the world? Yeah. And some of that is like earning me enough money to live and buy the things I need. But also some of it is also like living in a better world is profitable to you. Like literally Mm -hmm. that's yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh, so. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then in verse six, we read, then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So there is a TV show called Leverage that I have referenced in this uh, podcast before. Um, And they had an episode focusing on a Catholic church that included a brief homily by the priest of that church on the parable of the fig tree. Hmm. Uh, A very, very short homily. Was it during Lent? Was the priest wearing purple? I believe the priest was not wearing purple. I believe the priest was wearing white for some reason, which is, yeah, that's a good point. Mm, They did not have a religious consultant for that episode. I think that was a, not a Sunday mass. I think that was a like day of the week mass, Hmm. if I remember correctly. So that's a different lictionary. But anyway, well, actually that might be wrong. I don't remember. Now that's going to bug me. But to be fair, the show did not exactly like do a A plus job on portraying religion. And I'll get into that in a minute. But this homily was on the scale of like TV trying to portray what sermons are like. This was not terrible. <laughs> also not fantastic, but definitely not terrible. The priest essentially used this text and this homily to tell the main characters to calm down and just let things happen rather than rushing. Because mm-hmm. sometimes what you really need to do is to give the situation some time. Mm-hmm. And on the whole, I'd say I I would give the show a a solid B on handling religion like it's it's not terrible also not absolutely the best but it it could be a lot worse they they did okay so I do think like giving the situation time mm-hmm. Susanna Porter who's been a guest on the podcast a couple times has talks about the gift of time and I yeah. think that's particularly like something that I still sometimes need to get used to but I think especially for people in situations where they've been abused or they've been in less than ideal situations like to have the yeah sometimes it just takes time yeah have the gift of time but also to like give yourself the gift of time before you respond when somebody wants your time so instead of just saying oh there's nothing on my calendar I can say yes to this pause tell them even tell them I have to check my calendar I'll get back to you and tell them the next day and even if you don't have 
a calendar event, you can either A, schedule one so you don't lie, or B, say, I'm not available then, which is still not a lie. Yeah. But yeah, the gift of time is very important and very helpful in yeah taking care of ourselves. And then in verse 7, Jesus continues the parable and says, So the man said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? So first off, figure, figures, fig trees hmm. take about three to five years to bear fruit. So, you know. It's a baby fig tree. Yeah. It's like the this is the first year possible. Yeah. But then I was wondering if it's three to if it's three to five years for a fig tree to bear fruit. How long do you think it takes for the purple flowers in Wakanda to generate the properties to create the Black Panther? Like, is that are they perennials? Are do they need time to like? And that's definitely grow. an issue after the Black Panther movie because they don't have that many of them left. They don't have any of them left, right? Like, I don't well, know. No, they saved one. They saved there, one, but they used bit. it on the Black Panther. Right, but the the plant was still alive. They they used the bud, but okay. right of the one they saved. That's true. I think that's fair. So it could grow again, but I don't know how long that takes. Right. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then our final segment for this episode is, of course, let's make a Muppets musical. Because we had a conversation with Rabbi Danya Rutenberg on Twitter that involved casting Muppets in the Bible. And of course, if you're going to have a Muppet Bible musical, uh, there are going to have to be occasional characters who are played by human beings as well. Mm -hmm. And the Twitter thread kind of exploded. And also, we were just having a lot of fun. So we decided to bring it into the podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you want to weigh in on who you would cast in Let's Make a Muppets musical, it can be about the particular scene or story arc that we are talking about here, or it can be about a different one. You can weigh in on social media because we'll post each week probably around Friday-ish is my thought, but we'll see. Yeah. And invite everybody to weigh in on how they would cast the humans and the Muppets. Yes. Yes. So we looked at the readings for this episode and we decided to talk about our gospel reading, which at least has a story referenced in it. And of course, Pilate does some horrible things here. And I have to say, I don't think I could stand Pilate of all the characters being played by a Muppet because I think he needs to be played by a person because otherwise that just does not take the level of all of the stuff that he does seriously enough. Yeah. And so I think he has to be played by a person. And I have to say that when we started talking about casting the Bible musical with Muppets conversation, I was not really expecting to say this sentence out loud at some point. But okay, sure, that that all makes sense. And I was thinking it needs to be someone who's clinical and foreboding. Um, I would also say that I think that Pilate is one of the very few characters in the Bible who actually can be played by a white man. Yes. Yeah. So I was thinking about it and I was like, well, who plays Emperor Palpatine on Star Wars? Ian McDiarmid. Uh, and he's actually still alive. I was, I, I hate to say this, sir, but I was kind of surprised. Uh, uh, but he's 77 uh, and he's still alive. But then I was thinking about two, two others came to mind that I think maybe would be even more calculating and brilliant. Well, I do like that. I would say if I was going to go with someone from Star Wars, I would have gone with Grand Moff Tarkin, who is played by Peter Cushing, who is like the first Imperial fleet guy that we run into and just has the whole evil thing down. Like that is, yeah. So he could also do it. 
also, so I was thinking in the TV show Heroes, which was like, oh yes, it's not the ten years ago. Yeah, it was like ten years ago. Siler or Gabriel Gray, who's played by Zachary Quinto, who also played Spock in the Star Trek remake. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So he was one that I was thinking about, though I'm not sure that he's actually. Well, he's definitely Jewish, so he might like have some issues. Oh, rolling, yeah. But, so but, then we should yeah. not cast him. But but he's definitely capable of like pulling off the evil aura thing, which is just a sign oh, of yeah, being a good actor. For sure. The other one that I was thinking of was the guy that plays Dexter. Oh yes, I have not watched that show, but I have seen the occasional the... outtake, and yeah, he can do that. Too. Yeah, the serial killer who kills serial killers. However, uh, my comment on Pilot being one of the few characters in the Bible that could be played by a white man also made me think of Jonathan Groff from Hamilton playing King George. Oh. That is probably not a great choice for Pilot, but I did like yeah. enjoy that momentary mental image for a second there. So. <laughs> that, yeah, that would be hilarious. And therefore probably not where we're actually going. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not so much, but yeah. There are a lot of white guys who would, yeah. you know, would be a good pilot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, again, we would hope is just a sign of being a good actor and not actually being that evil in real life. Yeah, we would hope. Thank you for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent with our special guest, Reverend Nikira Hernandez. This podcast has been produced by us. Emily Ewing and Kay Rowe. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. Also, let us know on Facebook, or Twitter, who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pox Phobiscum. Phobiscum.